Welcome to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. This week, we will hear from Pastor Bill Wilson on a new normal will require confrontations. Now here is Pastor Bill. Why did they have to show me uh, cookies on Sunday morning? Wow. I'm coming to that for the cookies. All right. Uh, Thanks to all of you for your kindness. Thank you, uh, Greg Inman and the board for your graciousness to our pastoral team. And uh, we appreciate your contribution to bless them at this season of the year. And it's a great uh, tradition to follow. Joshua chapter 10 this morning, Joshua chapter 10. Those online, find your Bibles and maybe a few note pads that you would like to write some thoughts down that will come today in our series. We're, we're on a, an adventure together uh, called A New Normal. Uh, welcome to a new normal. Life is bringing a new normal. And uh, this morning's uh, title that I put on this message was A New Normal Will Require Facing Enemies with assurance and victory, and I use the word confrontation. And ever since I titled it, I don't like the title. So I'm changing it this morning. Uh, for, for the C's, it's good, but how to defeat discouragement. How to defeat discouragement. And if you're a Duck fan, you're gonna really need this uh, <laughs> message this morning. If you are a Beavers fan, you're going to just say, I told you so. All right, so, yeah, I told you so. You know, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us today as he has been in a very special way. And what I found about the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is that he provokes us to think in new ways. He provokes us to pause and to to contemplate how he can reset some of the patterns of our lives that have not been productive, and how he can recalibrate us to be prepared for the future, since God knows what tomorrow holds, and I don't. It's good to know that he's at work in me, preparing me and equipping me for what I'm about to face. There are moments we found in life when we move into seasons of confrontation, they're, mo- they're different than just moments of, uh, of pause to take a break. It's a moment when you walk into a, uh, a, a conflict or a, a warfare, if you will, spiritual warfare in your life where you realize that you need the power of the Holy Spirit to help you. And it, it brings you to ask yourself a very important question. And this question is this. It's a question that my mother-in-law, Flo Price, used to to say all the time, how big is your God? Because when you live life long enough, there are moments when you really have to answer that question. Perhaps when you begin your journey with God, you don't think much about how big he is because you're just overwhelmed with his love for you. But what can happen in the walk of life and walk of faith as a believer is you come to something that is pretty substantial. You're confronted with something that you haven't prepared yourself for in advance. And it does press you to deal with discouragement and how you're gonna deal with it. And it also asks the question, how big do you think God is? Or how small do you think he is? So uh, we we, we really shouldn't fear as we move forward in this recalibration. 
uh, that, that fear that can, uh, can paralyze you and keep you from moving forward. So I want to bring you this morning, as God is going in this, this text, God's going to reveal himself in a, a greater measure to us. And my hope at the end of this service is you realize how magnificent and awesome God really is. And how you can defeat that spirit of discouragement that sometimes comes our way. Joshua chapter 10, I'll pick it up at verse 7. It says, so Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. If I mention the name Bo Jackson, some of you a certain age group would immediately know who he is, and those of you sitting over here, perhaps to my left, might not know who I'm talking about. So let me give you a little context of Bo Jackson. He's the first professional sports uh, player who was able to play in one season on two professional teams. As you see the picture there on the left, he played for the NFL Raiders. He was a powerful running back. And on the right, he was also playing that same season for the, the Major League Baseball Kansas City Royals. People took notice. He was not only on the teams, but he was a star on both teams in the same year, playing during the same season. Not only did people pick up on this, but advertisers picked up on this. And a small company perhaps you've heard about from Beaverton called Nike. Have you ever heard of them? All right, so they picked up on it and they signed a contract with him and had a commercial uh, array of commercials called Bo Nose. You remember this? How many of you remember the Bo Nose commercials? It showed Bo, they said Bo Nose football, so he was dressed up as a football player. Bo Nose baseball, baseball player. Bo Nose biking, riding a bike. Bo Nose bobsledding. Bo Nose kayaking. It seemed that this man could do anything when it came to professional sports because Bo Nose, that was the, the line that they used for Nike, Bo Nose a multi-gifted young man. Until in 1991, early in the season, he injured himself, debilitated himself, and he ended up having to retire. And soon, Bo Nose faded out of common knowledge, and it was just a byline nobody even actually knew. They mentioned his name, but when they mentioned his name, it was always about what he used to be able to do. It never was what he could do now. Now look up here for a moment. This can happen in the Christian faith and your view of God. You say, God is awesome. I love it when we're in the presence of the Lord and I worship him and he can do anything. But over time, there are some believers who have slipped into the idea that God is on injured reserve and he has retired, and he is not able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. This is what we call confrontation, 
with our own faith and perhaps with other circumstances. So I pick up the narrative of, of Joshua chapter 10. And by the way, Joshua is a great picture of our own walk with the Lord as believers. With God making promises to go with us, before us, beside us, behind us, for God promising to take care of all of our needs, and yet there are moments when we come up against something that is more than just a challenge, it's a confrontation. It, it causes us to pause and wonder, maybe we're at, perhaps we're discouraged. Verse 9, Joshua 10. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. We'll talk more about that. The Lord threw them, he's talking about the enemy, into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibbon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azek and Mazedek. And they fled before Israel on the road before Beth Horon to Azek. And the Lord hurled down large hailstone down, hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the sword of the Israelites. Now it is always helpful when you read texts like this, because most of you wake up. I, I'm fin I'm done reading. Uh, the, the, it's helpful to understand the context of this situation. Remember this, that God brings a new generation into a new normal, a new land that he had promised to the previous generation, but because of disobedience and sin, they were never able to see it. So they, they uh, died, and now Joshua becomes the leader, brings them into the promised land, and uh, they move into this new normal. And yes, there was some remarkable things that happened, and last Sunday we talked about the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. And uh, someone came up to me and, and uh, wanted to explain to me how physically that happened. I, I wasn't there, but I can read it and I can see that it was a remarkable thing. However, now they've walked into the promised land and there's resistance. There's opposition. There, there are more than just the challenges of a wall. Uh, they, they run into some personal issues. Now follow me. You perhaps know the story, maybe you know in chapter 7, and we're not going to spend time there much today, you read of a serious failure in the city of Ai. And that all happened because of the disobedience of a man by the name of Achan. Achan, maybe you've heard of him. Uh, because of his sin, and I'll let you read the storyline, but because of his sin, they had a huge defeat in Ai. And there were several thousand Israelite men who died. And when you run into a conflict like that and it brings pain and loss, you wonder, are we out of the will of God? You begin to question, is God really on our side? God spoke to Joshua and declared to him. In fact, Joshua was, when he heard the news, he went into mourning, got a flip face down on the ground. They had ashes and the, all the signs of, of sorrow and mourning were over them. And God says to Joshua, get up off the ground. What are you doing down there? And then God said, you know, there's a problem. There is sin in the camp. You follow me? And so this sense of great discouragement was a result that there was something wrong. 
And sometimes in our lives, when we're walking with the Lord, see, this is a model of our lives, we get pretty confident and sometimes even cocky before God, and something goes wrong, and we, we blame God. Sometimes God is dealing with issues, and so I'll let you read that. Now, as a result of that, there's a line that I won't spend time on, but they didn't seek the Lord for wisdom. And so they made an agreement. So this agreement uh, with these people that said they were from a faraway land, and they really weren't. They just looked like they were. So it was very deceptive. But now they hear that there is a coalition of five uh, godless kings who are going to come against Israel, five of them. And it's in this major issue that they are having to confront. So first of all, sin in the camp had to be confronted. And then the awareness of great discouragement, like why did we come here? We would have been better off on the other side of Jordan. Now I want to just tell you something. You give your life to Christ, you follow him, and there will be a day when you say, why, are my, why am I going to church? Why am I even praying? Why am I reading the Bible? You, you follow what I'm saying? If this doesn't happen to you, it's happened to the person sitting next to you, I can assure you. Uh, there are that moment when you are confronted with discouragement and uncertainty. And generally, that is a good moment to seek God. And it's also a good moment to remember that God's greater than the situation that you are in. And so, these five kings forgot something very important. They weren't dealing just with Joshua and the children of Israel. They were dealing with all mighty God himself, all God. In this new normal, when you and I face some uh, difficulties and issues in life, remember that God is on your side. Because when you uh, sign up for ministry, you say, okay, I'm going to really serve God. And I noticed that they were asking for help at the church, I'm going to volunteer. It's your first day, and you go out and get in the car, and then one of your kids throws up all over the back seat. <laughs> or you, uh, you sign up for a home group, and you say, okay, you know, we, we should open our home because the community groups is a very important part of the life of the local church, and we have this nice home. And so every, everybody's going to come over on Friday night, and you get home from work only to find out that the dishwasher has broken a hose and the water is all over the kitchen floor. You, you, uh, you decide that you're going to be on the prayer team, and you're going to pray for people that God will heal them. And just before you go to the first gathering where you're going to be praying with people, you get a call from the doctor that says you have an incurable disease and need to go into the hospital right away. These are real things that happen to people, and sometimes you kind of wrestle with these, these moments of confrontation of some real issue in your life, and you forget how big God is, and it diverts you from doing what God called you to do. Are you with me? This, this is a new normal. This is a new normal. You've not been this way before, perhaps. You, you've not gone down this road before, and you, you need help. In 1995, I, I felt like I was pastoring the church here. Joy and I had been serving. We'd, we'd been here for uh, uh, several years now, and, and uh, we were in our eighth or so year of pastoring. And I felt like we had finished a big project. We built the gymnasium and the additional classrooms and what now is part of Hilltop uh, Academy and 
added 200 parking spots were desperately needed and we felt like the Lord was really working, but we, I felt like we weren't prepared for the future. I don't know how to explain it to you, but some kind of a restlessness. It wasn't like I didn't have stuff to do, but I just felt like we need to start thinking about where we're going from here. So I, uh, I pulled together individuals who I felt were, were dreamers, not just doers, but dreamers, because you've got to have dreamers and doers. You know, uh, doers are ne- not necessarily the visionaries, but somebody's got to do the work, right? And they love doing serving. And then there are others who have the dreaming gift and they can see things beyond the current situation. And I remember we, uh, we got into uh, the church van. It was a 15, pa- we've outlawed those since, but 15 passenger van. And uh, we, we climbed it, we, we talked, we prayed, and then we drove around the property, the 13 acres here. And I'm just sharing a little bit of this story because I feel like it builds faith to remember what God has done and what he's going to do. So. Uh, in the back here in Hillsdale Park, there was a, uh, uh, a road. It's not really a road anymore. In fact, they got a post there. You can't even drive. But there was a, a, a little uh, driveway there that went to a house that was back in the upper portion of our parking lot now. And so we drove all around. We talked and we dreamed and we thought about what we needed. And at that time, we, we wrote down several things. We felt like we needed a, a new student center for, for teenagers that was more uh, adapt to them because it, we were always having to move things around. There was no place where they felt they could gather. We needed uh, a new chapel. We needed uh, additional office space. Our youth pastor was in a uh, custodial closet downstairs. I promised him I'll get you a new office. Just give me some time and he came anyway. And uh, he was in the closet down there, no windows, just uh, that smell of Clorox. And uh, then we said we needed additional classroom space. Our, our ministry to children. The number one issue that we ran into is bathroom space. Everybody was saying where the bathrooms are. We only had one set of bathrooms. Uh, music rehearsal, early childhood, and what everybody wants in every house that they own or live in, more storage. Yes, we needed more storage and all of that. And so we wrote all that on the board. We dreamed about it and we put a price tag on it and I almost lost my lunch. I thought, wow, we're going to have to raise several million dollars. And here's what I prayed. You wonder what the pastor prays? Sometimes they're very profound prayers. Sometimes they're very simple. This is what I prayed. God, we need your help. You ought to try that prayer sometime. That's all you have. Lord, we need your help. It was a little overwhelming that day. Here the pastor had gotten these dreamers together. We dreamed these big, big dreams, audacious dreams. And then we realized, they said, okay, pastor, go for it. And I said, wait a minute. We need God's help. We need God's help. When I read Joshua chapter 10, I'm just going to give you some simple thoughts today because I don't have any real profound things to say, except I want to remind you of something that will combat discouragement in your life and help you deal with confrontations that come your way from the enemy of your soul. And also answer the question, how big is your God? First of all, remember, God is all-powerful. I I just want to say it again, because Pastor Rick said that's right. I'd like to hear more that's right. God is all-powerful. There you go. One more time, Pastor Rick. That's right. Uh, That's good. I'll keep doing that now. He said, that's good. Every preacher wants somebody to say, that's good. Yeah, that's good. That's good. 
Joshua 10.8, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hands. Notice how God tells us what he's going to do before he does it. And notice that you better expect God to fulfill what he's promised, and it causes you to have to believe what he has said. When confronted with discouragement or any other challenge or confrontation in your life, you've always got to remember that God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. Put down in your margin Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, sovereign Lord, it says, you have made the heavens and the earth. By your great power and outstretched arms, nothing is too hard for you. We used to sing, nothing is too difficult for you. Get that into your spirit. Because when you step into Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or when the family members that show up that you don't really like on Thursday, you're going to need to know that God can help you, right? I know you love all your family, but there's certain ones. There's certain ones. This new generation, ladies and gentlemen, some of you are old enough to remember seeing the hand of God in a mighty way. But this younger generation, they need to see signs, wonders, and miracles. They need to not only hear about how great Bo was, and they say, Bo who? Bo Jackson. Don't you remember him? No, I have no clue. He was a great athlete. They need to know how great God is. God who? The miracle working God. Have you ever seen a miracle? I don't know if I ever saw one. I go to a church. It's a nice church. People are nice. They sing nice songs. I like the band. They even got a huge screen. It's the biggest screen I've ever seen in my life. It's cool. They got lights. They got television cameras. They're online. They got good PR. Listen, that's all fine. They need to know when they walk into Portland Christian Center that we serve a miracle-working God. We believe in signs and wonders. We believe that God can turn things around. We believe God can create. We believe that God can heal. We believe that God can give hope. These are the things that you have to remember, that God is an all-powerful God. He's more than we can imagine. He says nothing is too difficult for him. We need to pray, church, that our kids... And in the next service, two of my grandchildren are going to be here. They need to know that God is a miracle-working God, that he is all-powerful, because there will be a day, we've all been through these days, when you're faced with something that's bigger than yourself, and you know God's got this. God's got this. God's got this. When I was 10 years old, I I was riding my my 16-inch Schwinn bicycle, red with white stripes, high handlebars, banana seat. I thought I had the coolest bike in the neighborhood. I was riding around. I was, I was over on 3rd Street. Now, I don't normally go over to 3rd Street because I live on College Street. That's a much more impressive street than 3rd. But I, I found myself just riding around over by Elm Street. And when I, I saw two guys, uh, they weren't from our neighborhood. They were probably... 11 or 12. You know, 10-year-olds are intimidated by 11 and 12-year-olds. So then they started to spew out things to me. Now, I'm a nice guy. They said things like, hey, buddy, we're going we're gonna to put you into mush. We're going to smash your face in. Now, you know, I don't know how you feel about that kind of stuff. 
I don't get too excited about the idea of somebody smashing my face in and putting me into mush. My first reaction was, bring it on. And then I realized, I'm by myself. And there's two guys, they're like, they're 11 and 12, they're giants, man. Their bikes look like they're really a lot faster than mine. And I, I, I did a wise thing at that moment. I, I decided that I wasn't gonna say bring it on. I decided I would flip my bike around and I would put what we say, the, the pedal to the metal on a bike. I would ride as fast as I could down Elm Street and try to get to College Street around the corner before those two bullies in our unknown neighborhood showed up because they didn't take my departure as if uh, that was the end of the story. They, they decided they would add more to the story so I could use it in a sermon many years later <laughs> because they took off after me and I could feel them coming. I could feel and my, my prayer was help me to get around the corner of Elm Street to College Street. We live at 65 College. If I can get around that corner, there's like two houses to my house. I can slide into the front yard on my bike. I can scream and holler at my mom and I'll be safe. And so I rode as fast as I could. And I slid into the grass. I still remember it as if it happened yesterday. And I screamed, Mom! Mom! And these boys, they weren't, they weren't diverted by my screams. They were right there. In fact, I still remember turning around and I looked and they were right at the curb of my front yard when my mother came out. Now my mom, I wish I had a picture of this. My mom is a, was a beautiful woman. She's gone to be with Jesus. She was, used to sit down here in the second, third row on Sundays. She told me that I was her favorite. She loved me more than anybody else. Then I found out at her memorial service, she said that to everybody. So I was a little disappointed, but uh, Laura Wilson. But you got to picture this. Laura was a tall, stately woman for her, uh, her generation. She, she was a very attractive, but she... That morning, she had her hair in rollers. You know what I'm talking about? Those big, those big rollers. I tried it a couple of times, didn't work out too. Good. She had these big rollers. She had no makeup on. And I remember she came out in her bathrobe and she had a broom. And she walked out and she had heard my cry and she was there as not only my parent, but my protector. And she looked up and those two boys saw her and scared them to death. <laughs> they turned around on their bike and they rode for their lives. You know, when I looked at her, I myself got a little nervous and thought maybe I should ride one for my life too. <laughs> you know what's interesting? We lived in that house for many years. I never saw those guys ever again in our neighborhood. Why? Was it the broom? I have no idea. Was it the hair rollers? Could have been. <laughs> it was that protective mom who stepped out onto the front porch of that old house and her presence made a difference. And I want to tell you that God is all powerful. In the theological terms, we say God is omniscient. He's all powerful. Yes, he's all knowing, but he's all powerful. He's, he can know stuff, but he can also do stuff. And there is something about the awareness of the presence of God in those moments that make a difference in your life. And when you're wrestling with confrontation of any kind in your life, of something that is coming at you, or you're discouraged this morning, remember, God's all-powerful. All
And that's what Joshua and the children of Israel needed to see. And what is about to happen has never happened before in life or in history. But what is about to happen is an amazing account in Scripture. Because God is going to reveal himself in a way that he had not revealed himself ever before to a previous generation, but to this generation. We know that God is all-powerful. So look down at verse 12. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Son, S-U-N, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and you, Moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. As it is written in the book of Jazar, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never, look at verse number 14, there has never been a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp of Gilgad. Now this is right here. If you've never read the Bible, here's a phenomena that the Bible records that took place here in the Old Testament. So, you know, uh, I I not want to contradict, I just want to to make clear, is actually it was not the sun or the, the moon, but it was the earth's rotation that stopped, if you follow me. When, when Joshua declared, O sun, stand still over Gibeon, O moon, over the valley of uh, Ajalon, uh, so the sun stood still and the moon stopped. God, the creator of heavens and the earth, the, the God who, uh, who placed the sun in place and has never had to send a repairman up to check it out, uh, the God who created the, the, the moon and has never had to send up an electrician, the God who, who, uh, who bedecked the skies with globes we call stars, an amazing one, and I saw Jupiter so brightly, I thought it was an airplane flying into Portland, and it was Jupiter right next to the moon the other night. The God who did all of that brought the Earth's rotation. He overrode nature, and he brought the earth to rotation to a standstill to prove that he's almighty and he's in control. So keep that in mind the next time you get discouraged and ask yourself, what kind of God do I serve? And some of you have served a small God. And I want to say to you, in this season of your life, start recognizing how great and big and awesome our God is. Now, I, I realize that there may be some who are, are thinkers here. You're, you're, you're intrigued by this phenomenon. You, you maybe in your spirit, you don't want to say it out loud, but some, of, some, some younger people might say it right off. I'm skeptical of this story. I think it's a fable. No, it's a fact. It's, it's true. And in fact, there's history records from China to uh, the Herodians to, to the Aztecs, the Persians, the Polynesians, even uh, tribes in Peru, who in their history books would tell you that there is a, a day missing in their record. Or even during this time, it's, history tells us that one of the Chinese emperors re- recorded an occurrence of an extra long day 
that took place. That's, that's history. But then you say, well, how about science? There was, there was an astronomer by the name of Edward Ball who calculated that there was 24 hours missing out of our solar time. 24 hours missing. I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just trying to give you some, some context here. And, and uh, one of, uh, one of uh, the professors at Yale University by the name of Dr. C.A. Taunton had a, fellow, had a fellow professor come to him and uh, said, I found this missing 24 hours this many, in solar time. And the professor was trying to figure it out. And he said, the, the professor uh, Tallinn said, well, why don't you uh, read the Bible? He said, well, I don't believe in the Bible. He said, well, read it anyway. So he came to this text and he was able to calculate, according to what I read, he was able to calculate and uh, he, he said, well, uh, I, I did calculate, but I'm not convinced yet. He said, why? He said, well, I calculated 23 hours and 20 minutes lost in Joshua. He said, so I still don't believe the Bible. And the professor said, well, keep reading. Keep reading the Bible. So he went back to reading. He came to Isaiah chapter 38, where uh, in the story of Hezekiah, Hezekiah is going to die, and he asked for God to add years to his life. And then, there is a, and then he said, will you give me a sign? And there was a pause again with the rotation. And it was... 15 degrees, and he, the solar time, that equals 40 minutes. Are you with me so far? 40 minutes, and there you have it. A full day. And when the professor read that, he came back and cal- with his calculations, and he became a believer. He said, there must be a God. <laughs> you know, God reveals himself in various ways. Now, he probably didn't reveal himself to you in the solar time calculations. But when he does reveal you, he meets you where you are, and he reveals that he is greater than anything you can imagine. In Joshua 10, 14, there has never been a day, there's never been a day like it before or since. So the first thing I'm just going to lay out there for is always remember that God is all-powerful. And secondly, rely on the power of God in your life. Rely upon the power of God in your life. You know, some people participate in sports and they play to not lose, okay? And then there are those who play to win. See the difference? Some people play, I don't want to lose. So they play so they don't lose. But there are those who play to win. And God has called us not to just get by. He's called us to win, to be victorious in our lives. And it's a great reminder when we think in terms of the power of God He says in verse 8 again, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hands that God gives us power for our lives. And he does it in this way. He gives you enough power to get started, to start right. You remember that moment. Uh, Sometimes we'll say, well, I'll get around to it someday. But we never do. But he helps us get started in developing perhaps a a better relationship with him or with family. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really get involved. I'm going to serve him. He helps us get started. Romans 7, 18, Paul said, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. What was Paul's problem? He needed God's power to help him get started right, to do it the right way. And, and the good news is that God gives us the power to start. God gave the power 
for you to take that first step towards him. God gave you the power to get up from a, a place of commitment and say, okay, I'm now going to serve him. I'm going to follow him. He gave you the power to get started. Not only does he give you the power to get started, but he gives you the power to keep going. Keep going. Many people I've met in life are good at getting started, but they're not very good at following through or keep going. But when you accept Christ as your personal Savior, there is a wonderful euphoria of the Spirit that comes to help you get started. But I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit helps you keep going. It keeps you going every day because there are going to be things that come at you and you're going to need the power of God to help you keep going. We, um, a couple of, gener well, a generation ago, you know, we used to talk about midlife crisis. We used to say sometime in your 40s, you know, you go out and buy a red convertible. So, you know, that's a midlife crisis or whatever it might be. The reality, I want to just tell you, there's no such thing as midlife crisis now. Life in itself is a crisis for many young people. Today, you don't have to wait till you're in your 40s to feel fatigued about life, fatigued about school or marriage or career or kids or health or employment or friendship church attendance. There's a real fatigue right now in America. And some of you who are watching, I want to say, welcome home. Come on back. Come into an environment like this. And I know for some, this may be the only opportunity you have or option. But I want to encourage you. There is a, a fatigue that has come across America. It's caused discouragement. People are having to confront it like never before. And I want to tell you, God is the one who helps you keep on going. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 through 31, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary in his understanding. No one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. That's one of my favorite Bible verses. Why? Because it's been easy for me to get started, but I've needed the Lord to help me keep going. And he's all powerful. How big is your God? How big is your God? If I mention to you the name Donald G. Gray Barnhouse, I don't know, how many would say I've heard of Barnhouse, Donald Bar G. Barnhouse? Not very many. Okay, so he's a great theologian of yesteryear. There are a lot of pastors who had lots of books in their library written by him in his commentaries. Well, after he had graduated, 12 years after he graduated from Princeton, he was invited to speak in chapel, you recognize that most of the universities in America were started because they were Bible training schools. And Princeton's one of those. And it's known for a lot of other things today. But at the time, it was known for its Christian faith. And when, when uh, Barnhouse had graduated there, 12 years later, he comes back. He's invited to preach. He's, he's a well-renowned, known theologian and pastor. And when he comes, he sit, sees down on the front row on the right-hand side uh, Dr. Robert Wilson, Dr. Robert Wilson, no relation to me to my knowledge, but he's sitting on the front row. And uh, when chapel was over, Wilson came up to him, he had been one of his professors, came up to him, and this is what he said, uh, if you come back again, I, I will not come to hear you preach. That's nice. <laughs> Joyce said that a few times. And uh, he said, Wilson said to Barnhouse, I only come one time, one time. I'm glad that, uh, he said, I, I come to hear you preach, and I'm glad that you are a big godder. Now, I have to spell that for you, G-O-D-D-E-R. You're a big godder. When my boys, he said, the Professor Wilson said, when my boys come back, 
I come to see if they are big godders or little godders. Then I know what kind of ministry they will have. Barnhouse asked Wilson to explain, what are you talking about? He said, well, some men have a little God and they're always in trouble with him. He can't do anything, he can't do miracles, he can't take care of the inspiration of scriptures and, and its transmission. They, they have a little God and they, I call them little godders. Then there are those who have a great God, big godders. He speaks, it's done. They believe God can work miracle. He commands, it takes place. He knows how to show himself strong on behalf of their fears. And I've come to just tell you this morning, I have great, I ha you have a great God, and he will bless your ministry. And I'm never coming back to hear you preach again. Have you met some believers that you think are little godders? Let me ask you this. Are you a big godder or a little godder? My English teacher was here. She would really be upset with me today, but I'm just asking. Remember, God is all-powerful. And remember, the power of God is in your life, and he will help you carry on. Joshua 10, 8, do not be afraid of them. I've given them into your hand. So here's my takeaway today. Number one, begin to acknowledge that God is all-powerful. Start to acknowledge that. Number two, begin to admit you lack power and you need him. Number three, begin to approach life with faith. Bible says it is according to your faith it will be done. And begin, number four, to announce what you're intending God to do. Announce it, verbalize it, speak it, and believe God. For God can do anything as we speak. And then number five, begin to act in faith. Step out in faith. Begin to do as Joshua did. And he advanced with the confidence that although there were five kings that had risen up against, or risen up against them, God was with them. In fact, if you read this section of scripture, the strategy here of military ability has been copied time and time again. Up to this time, there were no military approaches to the ambush approach that was written right here. In other words, modern Israel army has read and studied how Joshua led his battles, and they have actually used the same approach time and time again. So there we were, all these big ideas. God was stirring us, and my thought was, I love the ideas. I even like the way they've been written out and presented, the drawings that we have. But dear Lord, this is going to cost us millions of dollars, and where will it come from? And I remember I was having breakfast one day with a businessman who was not on that committee. And he was saying, what's going on at the church? And I was kind of sharing a little bit with, and then he paused for a moment, and he said, uh, the Lord spoke to me. And I said, what did he say? He said, I'm to give you $1 million towards this project. My little daughter became a big daughter. I remembered, God, you're bigger than our plans. He said, the caveat's this. I want you to ask the people of Portland Christian Center to raise over a million dollars. Then I got real discouraged because I had this gift, but it was 
based on the gift of everyone else. And I still remember, and some of you were there at the, what was the Red Lion over in Lloyd Center, the night that we all had dinner together. And that night we raised almost a million and a half dollars from other people, people who didn't even go to church here. I met people I'd never met them in my life. I said, what are you doing? Oh, well, we heard you're doing a great thing. We wanted to come and contribute. I realized how great my God is. And in the moment of confrontation, whether it's a million dollars you need or health in your body or whatever you may need, remember that God is all-powerful and remember this, that God will go with you and prove himself time and time again. He's a big God. He's big enough to rule the mighty universe that someone wrote, yet small enough to live within my heart. Would you stand with me this morning? If you need God in your life in a special way, I'm going to ask you to do something. And I know in the culture we are today, and there are a lot of sensitivities, so you just do what you think's best. But I'd like to invite those just to come and stand here at the front. If you need God to do something great in your life, maybe you need to surrender your life to Him, or maybe you're faced with something that just seems impossible, and you're a little discouraged this morning. I want to break the back of discouragement and pray over you. I'd invite you just to find the nearest aisle and come and just stand right here with me. I'll wait. If it's only one person, that's fine. You're saying, I needed this this morning. This is the word that I needed. We've got a great, big, awesome God. But we're here today because we need God to meet us in a special way. I don't want you to be left out. Now we just take your hands, lift them up towards heaven. Father, I stand with my brothers and sisters this morning that are confronted with perhaps discouragement or something bigger than themselves, and they need a great big God, and you are that great big God, and we surrender our lives to you. We pray, Lord, that you would provide and perform the miracles that are needed today, the miracle of healing. I pray for that man who can't sleep at night. I pray, Lord, that you would give him sweet sleep I pray for that mother and grandmother that are worried about their children or grandchildren. We give that to you today. We pray for that financial turnaround that is necessary, Lord, for the next step. Lord, would you provide in a way that only you can provide? We give you our anxiety, our fears, and Lord, we believe that you are a great God. In the name of you, would you accept that this morning? If you do, just praise the Lord just this morning. Just say thank you, Lord. Thank you for reminding me. You are an awesome God. You're an awesome God. Nothing will defeat me. You're going to go and you're going to hand the enemy into my hands. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen, 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 amen. Thank you for listening to the Portland Christian Center podcast. If you'd like to hear more or learn more about us, visit our website at pcctoday.com. Or join us for our live streams at the 9 or 11 a.m. at live.pcctoday.com.